there's a, a lot of writing and research today that talks about the explosion of information, the internet, etc. Our easy access to information has caused us to, to, to look at things on a very surface level. We have more information than ever. We see all the headlines, and in fact, uh, a lot of attention is given to writing headlines in such a way to, to grab your attention and pull you in. And, and a lot of us, all we read is the, the headline and maybe the first two or three sentences. So there's a lot of surface thinking, but not a lot of deep thinking, where we, where we take time to really drill down on the details. In fact, uh, reporters and authors and stuff today know that that uh, you, you better tell everybody everything you want them to know within the first two or three sentences because they're not going to go much beyond that to really look at the details. That's where our culture is. And I think in some ways, spiritually, if we're not careful, we can, we can end up in the same place because we're busy, life is happening. So we, we have our verse for, for the day and, and uh, it pops up on our smartphone every day and and so very hurriedly, we look at our verse for, for the day, and maybe we say a one-sentence or a two-sentence prayer, and poof, we're off, and man, I've had my time with Jesus. It's very surface. Maybe broad, broad but not real deep. And that limits its ability to change us, to grow us, to impact us. It's kind of like the difference between... Uh, any of, you, uh, any of you enjoy riding a, a jet ski or anything like that? I mean, when you're on a jet ski, you're, you're, you're running all over the surface of the water. You, you, I mean, you're, 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 you're not deep in it, but, man, you're, you're all over it. If you want to get down in there and see something, you need to scuba dive. It's a whole different view. Completely different experience. The same thing is true in your walk with Jesus Christ and your reading of his word. There's a, there's a difference between riding a jet ski over it and just touching on the surface and being somebody who, who's a scuba diver. You go deep. You, and I'm, I'm not talking about deep understandings. I'm talking about you get down in God's word and you slow down and allow him to speak into your life. in a way that's transformative. That's one of the goals I have for us with this New Testament reading plan in 2020, that, that we every day have some time with Jesus and, and we get beyond just the surface and because we're doing it systematically and I'm encouraging you to write down on a journal or a notepad, uh, here's what God said to me in this chapter, to, to start getting under the surface a little bit, to go a little bit, deeper. There are some of us in this room, it's been a long time since we got underwater. Some of us have been, you know, riding that jet ski across the surface of God's Word for years. We haven't gone down inside and said, God, get it down in me in a long, long time. It's my prayer that that changes for you this year. That's what the D group ministry is all about. Our word for 2020 is clarity because we want God to bring clarity to us about not only understanding his word, but what he wants from us. Not what God wanted from me yesterday. What does God want from me today? Not just what did God do in my life in the past. What is God doing in my life right now? How, how can I be an instrument in his hand? 
How, how can I grow spiritually beyond where I am today? This is uh, my second time following this reading plan. I did it in 2019 as part of the D groups that I piloted. And so I'm reading the New Testament again with you this year. But last year, when I started, just like this year, the first chapter I read was Luke chapter 1. And something really grabbed my attention in Luke 1, so I invite you to open your Bible there. As I shared with you last Sunday, this, this year, most Sundays, not every Sunday, but most Sundays, the sermon I preach will be from one of the five chapters you read this past week. And so today I want to preach from Luke chapter 1, and it was really something that God put on my heart and brought to my attention last year when I was doing this. And, and it's in the portion of chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel is speaking to this elderly priest in the temple while he's serving. His name is Zacharias. His wife, you, some of you will remember, was, was Elizabeth. And they had been unable to have children. And, and the angel says that God's going to bless them. They're going to have a son. He's going to be a great man of God. He's going to be a great prophet. We know that child as John the Baptist. Great man of God. Jesus said he was the greatest prophet that ever lived. And I want you to notice how the angel described this baby who would become John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 starting at verse 15. Okay, do you have your Bible? Look at verse 15. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God, and then in verse 17, it is he who will go as a forerunner before him, before Jesus the Messiah, and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. And here's the phrase that really grabbed me. And to turn the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. Then IV translates it to the wisdom of the righteous. The word literally means thinking that results in right behavior, action. That's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not being smart. Biblical wisdom is not intelligent. It is right thinking. The Hebrew and Greek words in the Old and New Testaments for wisdom originate from the idea of thinking, attitude, that results in certain behavior. And so... John was going to help people have the, the wisdom, the thinking, the attitude of the righteous. That phrase grabbed my attention. What does it mean to have the attitude of the righteous? And as I thought about it and tried to do more than just read about it and have a passing glance, you know, riding the jet ski over it, Part of what I wrote in my journal last year for verse 17 on the attitude of the righteous is the first thing I wrote in all cap, capital letters was wow with a big exclamation point. Not sure what this fully means. But I'm struck by the idea of the disobedient turning to an attitude of the righteous. True, true repentance includes our attitude, a change in attitude what does it mean what does it look like to have an attitude of the righteous I didn't get the answer right away 
In fact, the answer came as I read and reflected on all of chapter 1. Now, all of us understood the import, understand the importance of attitude, right? How attitude not only shapes how people perceive us, it influences how we react, how we respond to things. This past Tuesday, I met Stephen, our son, in Athens, Georgia, to go to the Kentucky-Georgia basketball game. It was a late game, 9 o'clock Tuesday night, and i got to give the Georgia fans credit. It was a great crowd. I've been there before, and it was the, it was the most pro-Georgia crowd I've ever seen in Athens. A lot of times there's a, almost as many Kentucky fans as Georgia. This was a great Georgia. There were about 1,000 fans out of the 10,000 that were UK, and the other nine were Georgia fans. I mean, they packed the place out, and they were enthusiastic. They've got one of the best freshmen in the country on their team. He'll probably be a top-five draft pick. I wanted to see that kid. And uh, Georgia led most of the game. But with about eight minutes to go, Kentucky got the lead and never let it go. And with about a minute to go in the game, we were up, I don't remember, six, five, six points, something like that. And all of a sudden, all, so many, most of the Georgia fans got up and started leaving. And so I looked. At, so we, Stephen and I looked at you and we said, what are they doing? The game's not over. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen Kentucky come back from being down five, six, seven points with a minute to go and win. I, I, Stephen, I said, they can still win this game. What's wrong? What's going on? Why are they leaving? I mean, it's just, it was just like they were all rushing to get out and there's a minute to go. They still had a chance. And all of a sudden, it hit me. They've lost to us so many times in basketball, they expect to lose. But fans of teams like Kentucky and the Blue Bloods who win most of the time, we don't give up to the very end unless we're down 50 points because we think we still got a chance. Our attitude is we expect to win. Their attitude was we're behind six points, minute to go, we're going to lose. Attitude, see, if you had a, a different attitude, they wouldn't have left, they would have stayed. And here's the point I'm making, is the way you think, the way you feel, your attitude shapes how you deal with stuff in life. Is that not true? in any and all areas of life. And so the attitude of the righteous, wow, I need to have the attitude that righteous people have. You need to have the attitude righteous people have. We should want the attitude of the righteous. What is that? Because I would think that having the attitude of right of the righteous would, would influence my life in a very positive direction. Whereas if I don't have the attitude that righteous people have, man, I, I, I'm going to miss out on some stuff. I'm going to make some wrong decisions. True? So what is the attitude of the righteous? Well, again, I, I didn't see it until I read all of Chapter 1. And I, I saw it when I looked at and compared the two stories in chapter 1, the story of Zacharias and the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. So let's, let's look at Zacharias to start with and his story and, and uh, hopefully come to understand the attitude of the righteous. In chapter 1, verse 5, it tells, tells when this was taking place, when King Herod was king and so on, and Zacharias 
His wife Elizabeth, he was a descendant. Uh, uh, his wife was a descendant of Aaron, and so he's 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 a priest. And in verse six, says they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So when it, what it's saying here is that when it came to all the do's and don'ts, when it came to all the the rules, when it came to all the regulations that a devout Jew was to follow, that a priest was to follow, they both did it well. But they had no child in verse 7 because Elizabeth was barren, unable to get pregnant, and they were older. Verse 8, it tells us that he was performing his priestly duties, his service before God in the appointed order of his division. The priests were divided into groups, and they rotated terms of serving in the temple itself. All the priests didn't serve there all the time. They were on a schedule, so to speak. So it's his turn to be in the temple. And um, he was the one from his group that was chosen to actually go inside the temple and burn incense. So he's in the outer part of the temple building itself. He's not in one of the courtyards. He's inside the actual building. And there were people outside in prayer making their offerings and so on. And in verse 11 it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. So he's in there burning this incense as an act of worship as a priest, and suddenly an angel appears to him. And in verse 12, Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. Well, I probably would have felt the same way, wouldn't you? Verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, your prayer, has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And then the verses we read earlier describing his ministry and the attitude of the righteous. So, so far, everything's going well. He and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. He's faithfully serving God. He's in the temple burning incense. He's holding up his end of the deal, if you will, in, in, the, in the sense that he's meeting his obligations. He's being faithful. And God says, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a baby. Now, the fact that God sent the angel to tell him this meant that he and Elizabeth were still praying for this. Verse 18, Zacharias said to the angel, how will, notice this now, how will I know this for certain? The NIV translates it, how can I be sure of this? The New Living Translation, how can I be sure this will happen? He's wanting proof. He's wanting evidence. He's wanting God to prove to him this is going to be happening. God, how can I know for a fact that what this angel's telling me is true and will happen. There's a, there's a seed of doubt in his mind. Do you, do you get that? God, I need some more evidence. I, I, I need you to prove it to me, God, that what you're saying is real. I mean, on one level we get that they were both old. She had been barren their whole marriage, unable to have a child. And the circumstances of their life created more doubt than their relationship with God created faith. I think there are times all of us can identify with that. God's prove it to me. I, I, I need to know that this is real. The angel responded in verses 19 and 20 
I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Now get that image. Here's Gabriel, the angel, who stands in the very presence of God at his throne in heaven. And and Gabriel says, I have been sent to speak to you. God sent me as a divine messenger to give you this message. By the way, do you know that the Scripture is God's holy word from His throne to you? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God and to bring you this good news? And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place for the next nine months until your son is born. Why? Because you did not believe what? My words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And so the angel said, Gabriel said, Zacharias, because you want proof You don't believe the word that God sent to you. You're not going to be able to speak. Over the next nine months while your wife is enjoying what she's dreamed of for decades, you won't be able to talk to her about it. You won't be able to use your mouth to express your joy and your gratitude and your excitement. You won't be able to talk to your friends about it. You're going to be mute. He finished working in the temple, went home. She was pregnant. Nine months later, the baby was born. And if you drop down in chapter 1 to verse 57, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth. She gave birth to a son. And then in verse 64, at once his mouth, Zachariah's mouth, was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. If only he had spoken words of praise when God first spoke to him. There were consequences. See, the truth is, you and I can love Jesus. We can, I mean, Zacharias and Elizabeth were blameless in terms of obedience to the law. They, they followed the rules. They did all the things that a good Jew does. You do all the things that a good Christian does, all the things that a good church member does. But you see, the attitude matters too. And the attitude is most most evident, most revealed in how we respond to the varying circumstances of life. God spoke to him. God spoke to him. See this, God, God was giving God was giving Zacharias a deep moment. Not a surface jet ski moment, but a deep moment, a scuba diving moment. God was, God was coming down and talking to him, just like I'm encouraging us to get into the Word of God every day and hear the voice of God. So what is the attitude of righteousness? Well, this kind of helps me, but it doesn't fully explain it because what I get here is that here was this good man, this obedient man who heard the word of God, but as he heard it, there was doubt, and he said, God, I I, I can't trust. 
trust it yet. I need you to do more. I need you to prove it to me. Well, what about Mary, the mother of Jesus? Well, in chapter 1, we find her story. In verse 26, now in the sixth month, so Elizabeth is six months pregnant when this happens. The angel Gabriel, the same angel, was sent from God. It's a message from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. At the end of verse 27, the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, the angel comes in and he says to her, so he comes into her house and he says to her, Greetings, favor one, the Lord is with you. She was very perplexed at his statement. I find it interesting that Zacharias was filled with fear. Mary was simply perplexed. And she kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. Pondering, that that word means to, the, the root word means to preserve something, to keep something, to hang on to it, to treasure it. It's the idea of, of not losing it. So when it comes to the human mind and intellect, it means you remember it and you think about it, you reflect on it, you ponder it, you treasure it, you go deep and think before you speak. You know, something similar is said about Mary later. And in uh, chapter, chapter 2, when Jesus is born and the shepherds make their visit to the, to the, the manger, in chapter 2, verse 19, the, the shepherds tell her about the angels singing in the sky and what they said and so on. And in verse 19 of chapter 2, it says that Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. See, if, if you want to have the attitude of the righteous, part of it, part of it involves taking time to ponder on, to treasure, to think about what God says to you. The attitude of the righteous is not riding a jet ski across the surface of God's word. The attitude of the righteous is you put on the gear of a scuba diver and you take the time to get down in there and hear God and ponder on it, think about it, reflect on it. Because you're going to find there's a significant difference typically in the response of the jet ski rider and the scuba diver when it comes to the word of God. So back in chapter 1 in the story of Mary, in verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And you, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And you're saying, well, she asked a question. She did. You're saying, what's the difference between her question and John's question? Big difference. Zachariah's question was, God, Gabriel, I need proof. How can I be sure how can I be sure that what you're telling me is the truth? I need proof. I need evidence. Mary's question is very different. Her question was one of logistics. Okay. 
How's this going to work? I'm not married. I'm a virgin. Hers wasn't one of doubt. Hers was one of what's next. How's this going to happen? That's why the angel continued by explaining to her in the following verses that the Holy Spirit would come on her. And the child conceived in her would therefore be of God. A holy child. He explained to her the logistical question. Zacharias didn't ask, how, how are you going to do this? He said, I'm not sure you're going to. I need some more from you to even believe this is real. She just wanted to know, all right, God, what's my next step? How's this going to, how's this going to unfold? Hers was not a question of doubt. And, said, I, and I, I think we get some insight into why she responded this way because when the angel first appeared and started talking to her, what did she do? She was perplexed, but she didn't talk. She pondered. Zacharias was afraid and just started talking. And if you want your faith to be stronger, you want the thinking and the attitude of the righteous, it's more than just being busy at church. It's taking the time to go deep in what God says to you in life. Think about it. Reflect on it. And respond. Respond out of what God is saying. But if your Bible reading is always just surface stuff, you've got a verse of the day and you go through it real quick, you've got a little devotional that's about, you know, yay big, and it takes you about three minutes to read it every day, that's riding a jet ski. Nothing wrong with that, but if, unless, 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 that's all you do. Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Remember that Old Testament verse again? Your word, King James language, thy word, your word I have buried, I have treasured in my heart. It takes time to dig a hole and bury something. I know we're all busy. Some of you are young parents raising kids, have a house to take care of and a demanding job. Some of you are older uh, as adults, but your elderly parents are still living and you're having to care for them and and, and you're making trips and there's the pressure of that and you still have a house and many of you still have jobs and in and, and today's world they're more demanding than ever. Some of you are students and you've got tests and you, you feel the pressure because you have to make the grades to get the scholarships if you want to go to college and there's all the activities you want to be involved in. I get that. And my goal is not to make anybody in this room feel guilty. My goal, what I'm praying for, is that each of us have an attitude that says, this matters to me. I want us to have the attitude that says, my relationship with Jesus Christ is a priority because Jesus Christ is the priority. I want us to have the attitude that says, my relationship with Jesus is more important than my house and how it looks than ball games and band and other things that keep us busy, that, that my relationship with Jesus is more important than making sure I've seen the latest episode of my favorite shows on television, that my relationship with Jesus is more important than being buffed by going to the gym early every morning, that my relationship with Jesus is more important than my job and my career, that my relationship with Jesus is more important than anything and everything. What does it mean to call him Lord? It means that. 
And if you make time for Jesus, you'll find you, <laughs> you're able to do the other. You know, I look back over my life, and like you, I have some regrets. My, my, the quality of my devotional life, my Bible reading, uh, yeah, I, I preached for all these years, but there's a difference in reading the Bible to preach and reading the Bible to, to experience Jesus, to be with Jesus. And, and there have been seasons in my life when I did that much better than other times. Any of you been, been there? But I'll tell you what, as a 61-year-old man, I look back and when I see those seasons when I wasn't as disciplined and faithful as I should have been in that, that, that experience of, of having daily time with Christ, I regret that because I now am old enough and experienced enough to know that I robbed myself of some of the beauty that Jesus wanted in my life. Average American today spends two hours and 45 minutes watching television every day. That's the average. It means half of us do watch TV more than that. Average American spends 17 minutes a day reading for pleasure. How's your Bible reading? How's your interaction with Jesus and his word? How's your journaling? How's your, how's your relationship with him? I want it to be growing. I want it to be, I want it to be special. I want it to be stale, stuck. And so, yeah, I don't want you to feel guilty. I want you to have an attitude that says, I want the attitude of the righteous. And if that means I have to take time in my life on a consistent basis to ponder the word of God and what he's trying to speak to me, I want that. I want that. I don't feel guilty about that. I want that. 